1: Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today is Mr Simon Mikowski. Sai, how is it going? Yes, very well thank you Daniel, how are you? I am very good mentally, physically I am battered and bruised after playing football last night and I'm really struggling to walk which just gives you a little bit of insight into my lack of footballing ability but no matter how physically depleted i may be i will not be as blue as some city fans may be today on the day after deadline day we've said many times during this month that it was probably going to be a quiet one for city we had one signing but not much else to write home about it looked like it'd be yet another deadline day without much incident but then on the day before deadline day out of nowhere João Cancelo, it appeared, was heading to Bayern Munich and so it proved on deadline day the loan move went through. He has joined the Bundesliga champions until the end of the season, at which point the um, Bayern will have the option to buy him permanently in a £61.5 million deal. And, Si, this came out of pretty much nowhere and I don't think any of us expected it until that news did drop on uh, the
0: Monday. and. What, what? Just what has gone on? It's, it seems uh, quite bizarre. Yeah, I mean, City have sold, well, loaned out a key player and uh, Chelsea have bought like half the world. So I, I imagine that um Chelsea must be kind of expected to win the league this season, no? I don't
1: think so quite yet, but it's certainly going to be intriguing going forward. I mean, as you say, I think they have literally spent... I think what I saw today, Chelsea have spent more than every other team in the Bundesliga, Syria, La Liga and League 1 combined in January. And I think they've signed... I want to say they've either spent as much or even more than every other Premier League team combined as well. So that is an absolutely bizarre situation which we might well touch on um, towards the end of this little bit. But Joel Cancelo has gone. As you say, it's, it's a weird one. he's saying goodbye to... An integral first team player, a player who has been one of if not the player of the year over the last two seasons. Um, kind of, as we'll talk to as well, kind of papered over a massive crack in that squad and you know, a few weeks kind of out of the team, and now he's he's gone.
0: It seems so sudden. Yeah, it's a spectacular fall from favour. Um, you know, he remains the city defender this season with the most minutes under Guardiola um in the Premier League and in any competition. So It's, um, you know, nobody would have seen it coming before the World Cup. Since the World Cup, he's he's started just three out of ten games. And uh, those three were the derby, which they lost, the Southampton game, which they lost, and the Chelsea game away in the league, where he was substituted at half-time after one of the worst halves of football City have produced in years. And his replacements changed the game and won the game for City. So he's been so influential for them. Um, The last two years, um, we've kind of spoken over the last few weeks and months on this podcast about how it wasn't that weird to see him lose his place um, because he hadn't been great for a while. But um, like you say, I don't think anyone saw the sort of shock exit coming. And Cancelo is someone who does not react well to not being in the team. And, you know, I thought it was very interesting. I think it was his wife posted yesterday um, saying, you've been the best fullback in Spain, Italy and England. You don't have to prove anything to anyone anymore. And and that runs counter to everything Guardiola has as a principle at City where everyone has to prove something every day. Uh, And that's what he was trying increasingly to do with his squad over the last four weeks. And Cancelo's just gone. You know what? No, I'm not having that. See you later.
1: Mm -hmm. uh, Cancelo has kind of downplayed and he's sort of fallen out with Guardiola in his kind of unveiling at Bayern, hasn't he? He's kind of (laughs) talked about. Of course, yeah. Of course, he's kind of talked about just, you know, he wanted more minutes. But it does seem kind of so sudden, I think, wasn't it? Um, Before the Arsenal game, people, or after the Arsenal game, I should say, which we'll talk on um, in due time, um, Nathan Ake's goal, Guardiola kind of paused when he was about to say everyone will be happy for Nathan Ake. And it was, as people have, you know, the the news has come out, people have kind of looked back, poured over those quotes and kind of maybe found something that wasn't there. But it certainly is interesting where Guardiola's, uh, maybe hinting, or it can be hinted in hindsight that he was maybe suggesting Cancelo might not have been happy because he wasn't the one playing in that match. A match that I think most of us, I didn't. I actually got most of his team spot on for once, so I'm I'm taking that little dub there. But I, I think a lot of people expected Cancelo to come in in that game just because it, you know, it was the cup match, kind of rotate and whatnot. And even then, he still didn't start, and Ake did. And I say, even so, and. He's basically. It seems quite similar to what kind of United have done, and it's, it's a different situation, of course, because Ronaldo basically forced the hand. But they've sacrificed a player who's playing, a, I don't know, and it's a put an important role in the first team. And without, you know, United certainly didn't have a replacement um, straight to hand because of he left in December. But they've done so without. They've sacrificed maybe the quality of the team and the squad for the kind of harmony of the squad and keeping the morale high and not having any potential kind of bad apples in the barrel, it seems.
0: Yeah, and interesting that Cancelo and Ronaldo were are very pally. Um, both kind of similar characters. Fiery don't react well. And both lost their place during the World Cup, actually, as well. Cancelo only
1: got back in because Dalo got injured. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah. Um... So yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, the um, the you know he Cancelo did say he wants more minutes, and the fact that he didn't play in that FA Cup game suggests that he wasn't going to get more minutes as as the season carried on. And I, and I think part of that reason is is tactical. I think he has kind of suffered as a result of City's attempts to to get Haaland more involved. Um, it's kind of a a bit like a microcosm of uh of kind of city's first title when everyone always says why can't we have sterling and Sarney on the wings like you know because they absolutely blitzed the league that year and um the the answer to that is that kind of city were doing what nobody else was prepared for and city you know were, had beaten teams before they knew what was coming and then eighteen nineteen was much tougher because everyone knew what was what they were coming up against and it's kind of been a bit like that with Haaland, where he had this amazing start, and then it is still obviously still on for this amazing record, but it's become harder for the team to sort of play fluidly with him. Uh and Guardiola has changed what he wants from his fullbacks, and Cancelo doesn't fit into that as well. And also what we've seen is City conceding goals from very little, kind of one mistake and it's all over. And Cancelo is one of the worst for those. So as Guardiola has gone more kind of risk averse Cancelo's lost out because of that so so there are kind of sound tactical reasons for him not playing as much but also you know i mean the manager said last month he was picking the team on body language and clearly Cancelo's was was not good enough to be in the team because if he'd been showing the right body language he would have been given the chance to to prove himself in this kind of new system
1: yeah yeah and, you know i wonder if it kind of builds into the reaction of a Spurs when he was so, and I know Cancelo didn't kind of play in that match, or at least in the start. But he was, at, he wasn't just angry with the players on the pitch that day. You sensed, you sensed it was the whole squad. He wasn't happy with the harmony or whatever it was, um, the attitude he'd been seen in training. With you know, and it wasn't just that Tottenham game where Guardiola has been kind of calling certain players out for their physical conditions or their attitudes and whatnot. Um, not without, you know, in some cases not naming names, of course. And it just seemed like it's all maybe been bubbling in the background and we didn't know. And as I say, it may may have come to a point at this Arsenal match when he didn't play. And and now he's gone. But okay, like, what on one also like he isn't the starting at the minute, of course, but this is still a big loss to the team, right? It it must be Cancelo might not be in the best form at the minute and hasn't been for a few months, but as I said, he's been integral to City's last two title wins, been excellent, and as we'll touch on afterwards, it has left a bit of a gaping hole at that left-back because Nathan Ake is not the most um, um, injury prone lus player. Like he's had his, uh, his father victim to ailments every now and then, as has Laporte, and Sergio Gomez hasn't exactly hit the ground running since coming to Manchester.
0: Yeah, you absolutely. You can't forget what an incredible player cancello has been for city um you know he revolutionary really in in at least one of city's title wins and guardiola a manager who turns to experience so often um you know has decided to get rid of a player who has so much experience so much creativity um you know perfect mentality uh, i remember when his you know his family were were attacked at the home and and he was covered in in bruises and cuts, and went straight down to Arsenal and played um, for the team the next day. It's just sort of like re- remarkable character and ability, and and it will be seen in some quarters as City cutting off the nose to to spite the face. Um, you know, Guardiola's ultimately taken the decision that he would rather Cancelo leave now to protect the whole of the squad. And what he wants from the whole of the squad rather than risk kind of Cancelo's unhappiness at not playing from kind of seeping into wider disharmony. And you, you've got the sense certainly over the last four weeks that Guardiola's kind of clutching a bit more. There's is a bit more frantic um, nature about his kind of attempts to keep this squad harmony and keep them together together. Um, you know, he he pointed out after the Spurs game how no one had protected Rico Lewis when he was getting fouled. You do get the sense that they are missing those kind of leaders to to knock everyone's heads together and say, you know, I don't care that you're not playing, you need to turn up for the for the team. Um and 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 that is why, you know, they've they've taken the the decision to let Cancelo go. And yeah, the, the other big decision obviously was not replacing him. Um, like you say Nathan Ake has had his injury issues so has John Stone so has Aymeric Laporte so has Ruben Diaz uh, Rico Lewis hasn't but I mean turned 18 in November I think so is very 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 green so yeah there's kind of shades of the end of last season when City kind of limped towards the line with no no real centre-backs other than kind of Laporte on one leg, played Fernandinho there, and then he was so bad against Villa that he had to be taken off on the final day. And, um, you know, and Laporte was then out for three months of the next season because he'd carried them. So it's kind of, you know, you you one step closer to that house of cards falling over. Um, But that is the the calculated gamble that City have taken. Because as well, you know, it takes so much for players to to settle into this City team, you mentioned Sergio Gomez, he was kind of seen as like the best of a an alternative bunch, shall we say, when the move for Kukurea fell through in summer. Um, there was hope that he could become a first-team player. Well, he's, ha- he's had some all right performances, but he's tailed off and he, he's not currently at the standard where you'd want him to be starting a league game or a Champions League game. So, you know, Sergio Gomez is not a bad player, but he's been seen to be not up to City's standards for what they need imminently. So if they can't get that in a day or two days over the January transfer window, you could, you know, you can see why City didn't strengthen, but also it does fundamentally make them weaker.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just uh, City with left-backs has been and kind of continues to be just the weirdest um, kind of situation. I've likened it to the, you know, the, the 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 exhaust port being left in the death star like why is there such a weakness there when you've got such a, a massive kind of unlimited kind of um, source of resources like city could quite easily find a left back and I I, I can't imagine a club of city standing Chelsea shortlist. bought the one they wanted well 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 but <laughs> and my my point was going to be the one that they wanted has proven to not be very good anyway and certainly hasn't done well since leaving Brighton in in Cucureo, so potentially on you know, they dodged a bullet there in and bulking at Brighton's price and I think it's always admirable that city have you know they, they lay their the limit they'll go to and they never they never um go past that that saved them a lot of um um wasted money in the likes of kind of Fred and Alexis Sanchez and Harry Maguire etc and so on all of them going to certain club kind of speaks a lot there doesn't it but um even the fact that they were kind of targeting qQly for me is another symptom of this problem where they just don't seem to kind of really take left back seriously they haven't signed one um or at least one deemed ready for the first team immediately um since 2017 uh, he was obviously injury prone and is no longer available and since then they've had fabian delf play there and merit laporte play there nathan aki play there zinchenko who was a midfielder play there Cancelo who was a right back play there angelino who was a dud gomez who certainly isn't ready and would you know He's looking every ounce of the player who was initially adjudged to be needing another year on loan or a six months on loan or whatever. the initial plan was going to be before Korea fell through. And then, of course, the ad Kikurea, who hasn't proved to be that good afterwards, kind of questions were you, were you only targeting him because he had one good year? Did you not look much deeper into it? And did they not have any backups to hand? Now, I've always said many times I kind of respect City's stance of allowing players to go if a deal comes through and they want to leave. You let Cancelo go here, you let Zinchenko go, but as I've said many times, I go back to, you, that letting Zinchenko leave seemed to me so, so dumb at the time just because of how handy it is, and it's just been made to look even more so now because, as I say, you you kind of correct the point that there, City were hanging on by a at thread at the, at the end of last season, but at least... They had a lead to protect. This time they're in a completely different situation. They are chasing the top team who have strengthened um, very well um, themselves in January and look to have kind of plugged a few gaps in their own squad to deal with any injuries. And City and of they have weakened no matter which way you look at it. They've, they've lost a really integral player. I just, it baffles me why they just don't sign a blimmin' left back and they've not done it for years and the only ones they do sign aren't ready or good enough and I I just don't get it why just sign one you've got so much money that you could just easily just go and sign one and they don't do it and I just do not get why I'm
0: not saying I disagree with you however you do disagree with me no I no I don't and I, I would be amazed if they didn't sign a left back in summer uh but you know since 2017 when they last signed a left back They've won four of the last five titles and the one title they didn't win, Liverpool got 99 points. And if they don't win this title, Arsenal are on course for 100. So it is, even without a left back, it is a very, 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 very high standard required to beat them. The like of which was not seen before Guardiola came to England and changed English football in the Premier League. And... Um, So that's, you know, mitigation, I would say, for not signing um, a left back. I kind of, with all the kind of dodged bullets, um, you know, I do think that all of them would have done better at City than they maybe did at their respective clubs. And I think we saw kind of Jorginho struggle when he first went to Chelsea and everyone was like, oh, yeah, thank goodness City didn't sign him. And then he's kind of shown over the years, like, exactly why he would have been been good um, in a City shirt and obviously still in the Premier League and, and won kind of club and international honours. So, yeah, I, the the other question I would say is like, you know, sign a left-back. There's been something fans have said for for ages, um, but they have signed Angelino and Sergio Gomez. So the question is kind of like, Who? who should they, because it's very easy saying sign a left back, but mm-hmm. who do you sign that is good enough for Guardiola's standards because, you know, they nearly bought one for 50 million who I'm not saying wouldn't have been very good, but has not showed that form mm. in a Chelsea shirt after being bought for 62 million. So, who yeah, do you
1: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's not my job to find them. I, I don't know off the top of my head, in furnace, And I, I I agree with you, the, the names that were kind of bouncing around Social media and that on deadline day, um, Anthony Robinson, Bolton, Illumini and uh, Ben Chilwell, who isn't he injured? And if he isn't injured, is a guaranteed starter for Chelsea anyway. He is good, obviously. But the names that were yeah. banging about social media didn't seem realistic or particularly good.
0: But but that, but that's what I mean. There's no obvious names. So if like... It, it's their job so to if, find it, them. Yeah, yeah. I but if they're, if they're signing someone, if they sign a left back who turns out to be good,
1: hmm. we're then
0: saying... Oh, what a really good scouting decision that was, to find someone who no one else was talking about, pretty much. Yeah.
1: Because, yeah. I, I just find like City are so good at buying players everywhere else that they got Julian Alvarez ahead of everyone else. I'd never heard of him, personally, until City signed him. I know he'd done loads of good stuff in, in Argentina and was the South American Player of the Year or whatever, and that's probably my ignorance, but I hadn't seen anyone else particularly linked with him when City just signed him out of nowhere. I don't, I don't know if you did. They find, they seem to put a lot of energy into improving elsewhere. And no, don't get me wrong, it's not like Haaland was some unearthed gem or anything, but they, they they identified exactly what they wanted and they went and got it absolutely sharpish. Same with Grealish, same with when they wanted Mares, they got Mares. Rodri, they got Rodri, Laporte, they had the problem there. They always kind of solve everything else. So it just feels like left back, they just kind of seem to make do, I'd say. And as you're right, you are right, City have, they've made do quite well, given they've won the league so many times and won however many trophies, but it just seems like just an oversight. I, I just don't understand why. Because they could, you know, there's always room for improvement. City and well, they're certainly in the race, of course. But they've got a hell of a fight on their hands to win the league this season. The Champions League, of course, is still on the cards. What if it ends up costing them that position? Because they very nearly, and we kind of don't think about it, but they very nearly lost the Premier League last season. And a lot of that was due to how kind of ramshackle that defence ended up being at the end. And I know Guardiola likes a small squad, and it certainly has its benefits, but. It just seems like an oversight that didn't obviously it didn't cost them, but it very nearly did, and it could do again, especially now when City are in the advantageous position they were in last year when those injuries struck.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I mean, you know, left back hasn't been a priority since 2017 and they have looked at left backs um, in various windows and they, they've signed a few and they've tried to sign a few and they've decided against signing a few others um but it does feel like um they really do need to to sign one um you know this this strategy that guardiola is kind of adapting where he just plays center backs across his back line and rico lewis kind of steps up into midfield it, it kind of feels a bit like a false nine situation like can work for a limited time but it, it's not the best use of anyone's time mm. um, and yeah, should not be something to like employ in multiple seasons, so yeah, I mean they've not got a left back now other than Nathan Ake who is performing very well but yeah. is admittedly exceeding expectations, so you know, is there a time where those expectations stop being exceeded or like say when he he does pick up an injury or two, uh, and and that is why Cancelo going fundamentally weakens City because mm. you know they 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 they've lost his quality, but also they've just lost a body, and they've lost exactly. someone that that can play the role. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it's it's such a, a tricky one, left back because <laughs> people have been saying for years they should sign one and I've said for a long time they should sign one but at the same time Mm. it it is there there are no obvious candidates for them to sign and Mm -hmm. you know I mean they were um, were linked to James Madison uh, yesterday and quite a number of City fans reacted and said that guy is not good enough to play in our midfield so you know if people are saying that about James Madison name me a left back who is good enough to to start in City's team because I'm struggling.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously I I couldn't say I could find it off the top of my head but it just seems they've left themselves so short. I mean, it's not, unforeseeable whatsoever that Ake, Laporte and Stones could all, and maybe even Diaz, could all be injured at the same time, and then where does that leave you at the defence? Calvin, Calvin Phillips dropping into centre-back, I don't know, Rodri perhaps, he's done it before, it's certainly going to be interesting, and I mean, is there potentially scope for Lewis, Rico Lewis, to kind of move over to left-back, because he's doing what Gial Cancelo did so well in when he kind of really took that left-back position um, himself, because remember, if you, if you recall cancello didn't get off um to a great start at city he wasn't even in the squad for the carabao cup final win over aston villa and it looked like just a few months on from his move he was going to go already um i believe valencia were not they very strongly in that january transfer market um after he'd signed it took him a while to adapt as it often does but when he kind of found a home at left back it seemed like city had basically solved the left back problems finally um and he's doing the job of coming into centre midfield, which Rico Lewis has come into the same remarkably and done so well. It seems like his kind of metriotic rise into the team has been, a, 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 you know, a reason why City can feel do feel comfortable in letting Cancelo go. So, is there a possibility Lewis eventually ends up at left back and Walker comes back in if if um, if Aké does become unavailable?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting point about Rico Lewis. Um, he has played a bit at left back, more sort of in the academy than has probably been mentioned, um, even though he's, he's typically a right back. I mean, we keep talking about Cancelo as a, lof- a loss at left back when he was a right back. Um, so, yeah, I think Lewis would, could be an option. It, it's just, you know, whether you want to place even more pressure on the uh, the shoulders of an 18-year-old who's, who's very, very green. Um, the other thing being that kind of Lewis's role in the team has primarily been to come inside into midfield and he's been able to do that from right back it feels like more teams have good right wingers than left wingers because Nathan Ake has been tasked with sort of taking on Salah and Kulusevsky and Saka uh on the left so whether you know Lewis would would be able to do that as well as Ake has done that I don't know um but it all comes down to sort of Every remaining member of the defence has a little bit more pressure on them now because there is no Cancelo.
1: Yeah absolutely and as we said City will kind of continue the season now with the squad they had. Um, It was a quiet January until that explosive deadline day as we said. The only signing was uh, Maximo Peroni but it's unlikely that uh, the midfielder will be involved at all for the rest of the season I imagine unless he kind of really really dazzles in training or any games for the EDS and then otherwise it was just as we expected in terms of outgoings with um, uh, kind of academy products products either going out on loan or in the case of a Rocker, he left permanently, didn't he? But the, otherwise, it was Wilson Hedges ran to Coventry on loan, and the lapse loan at Stoke kind of ended, and he went to Preston instead. Uh, Kaiki went off to Portugal, Morgan Rogers went to Blackpool, and Luke Mbete went to Bolton, which is quite an interesting one for me. I think, it's, you know, getting quite a little city enclave over there um, under Breeze Hill. So it's uh, certainly, if he does as well as James Trafford has been doing, um, it'll certainly be good news for him. But yeah, um, Otherwise, in the window, kind of what you'd expect, and hopefully some of these youngsters can get some uh, good uh, first-team experience out in the football league.
0: Yes, yeah. Um, It it was kind of like a window that you would expect from City. It was just surrounded by total chaos from all the teams around them. Um, You know, I I don't know what's happened, but all this talk about our teams won't have any money after the pandemic has uh, has kind of disappeared, hasn't it? And and, (laughs) City's window, I don't think, would have been under the microscope as much. But, you know, you're looking at a club that hasn't, you know, has weakened themselves at a time when every single rival, pretty much, has brought in players to strengthen themselves. And obviously, in Chelsea's case, spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds on top of hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds in the summer. So it's... um, yeah, it, it's it's really interesting, and it, it you know City are sort of conventionally seen as favourites for everything they go into, but you know you you kind of expect some of these teams to be coming under a bit more pressure to perform now, given the the money they've spent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be certainly be interesting. I think the kind of looking at January, it's certainly not been this hectic for the last few years, but this one seems to have kind of burst into life for a few reasons first of all arsenal being where they are wanting to kind of capitalize on their advantageous position they've had a strength and i think quite smartly they have spent a decent amount of money but nothing kind of outlandish i would say he brought in leandro trossard from brighton and they were they, they were attempting on spending quite a lot of money on uh, another brighton player in moises Casido, but instead signed jorginho from chelsea and i think that's quite a canny sign and as you mentioned earlier Jorginho since he's been to Chelsea has won trophies at club and country level Champions League no less I believe if not last year, year I think it was last year for some reason was kind of regarded really high like was in Ballon d'Or nominations and was largely regarded as one of the best players in the world I think that was a bit of a recency bias somehow but he's a really canny operator someone I believe Thomas Partey is injured for Arsenal at the minute so they brought him in to kind of fill that void midfield and strength and and the depth in midfield was a, a kind of position we worried about with Arsenal and up front well worried we're looking at it as a potential reason for them not winning the league but they've strengthened really smartly i'd say in january and go you know we'll talk about the game in due course but they've 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 done they've reinforced themselves smartly to compete with city in a title race
0: yeah i mean leando trossard looked one of the best players on the pitch if not the best for the fa cup game um he obviously fell out with with the brighton manager and that was kind of a, a swift revolution resolution from arsenal to uh to step in and and get him but yeah i mean yeah they, they they've spent sort of intelligently arsenal but they've only been stopped from spending 100 million by brighton wanting a a ludicrous fee for Casado on top of a ludicrous fee for kukurea that they got um and you know you can understand them asking for ludicrous fees when some clubs in the league are willing to to pay that kind of money for them. Um, so, you know, fair play to them. I don't think anyone at City thought that they'd get 50 for Cucuraya and they ended up getting 62. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, City are up against it, very much up against it. Um, they've always been seen as like a, a behemoth in the league and, and nobody's saying any different now. But I think the point City have been trying to make for years, which is kind of more evident now than ever is that they're not the only behemoth in this league and uh you know it it comes to something when kind of liverpool can spend 30 million um on top of what they spent in summer on nunes and and that not really count or be mentioned too much in in the window because arsenal and chelsea have done so much Mm -hmm. um you know and and arsenal have not really been around this title race for for a long time but really want to capitalise and you would look at that Arsenal team and say, yeah, the five points in front having played a game less, they've strengthened, they should be favourites for the title now.
1: Yeah, I I think they were even before signing Giorgino. I think, as I say, I think that's a really canny sign and um, loads of experience, loads of quality in that midfield, which they did need. I think after Party and Xhaka, you were kind of looking at is it Lukonga and Eleni, who's injured for the season as well, anyway. So they've certainly strengthened that. And I think they've got him for. Decent price, only like twelve million, I think, which is kind of remarkable given yeah. the given the fees. Um, Chelsea are spending, kind of, you know, it, it's it's been a weird window because the other two the other two teams currently in the top four, Newcastle and United and United Manchester, that is, haven't really spent much. I know Newcastle kind of splashed forty million Anthony Gordon, seemingly more so just to get rid of Everton, I think, than anything else, just on a whim. Um, he seems got talent, but he hasn't certainly. I don't think he's done much to. So put it this way: I bet Everton are good. They didn't let Chelsea buy him for about 100 million last summer, and having to accept Forty or so now. And then United haven't spent anything on a permanent signing. Brought in Marcel Sabitzer on loan after Eriksen was injured, and then bringing in Vieirgas to replace Ronaldo. Just kind of ticking things over, obviously their ownership situation, um, maybe preventing big spending this um, this winter even. And then it's the as you say it's the teams kind of outside the top four currently who want to get in. Who strengthened Tottenham have made a couple of good additions, which we'll talk on. Um, in due course, but Chelsea, as we say, you know Liverpool bringing in Cody Gakpo as well, but it is Chelsea who. have gone absolutely astronomical. I've got the kind of list of signings they've got here, and there's one lad I've never even actually heard of, so they sneaked another one in who I didn't even know. Marlo Gusto, who's gone back to Lyon on loan for the rest of the season, apparently. But otherwise, they've brought in Enzo Fernandez, uh Noni Madueke from uh, PSV, I believe, wasn't it? Um, Mudrick, of course, from Shat Tide and X. Benoit Bedashil from Monaco. Jao Felix on loan. I actually forgot about him, because <laughs> he's been suspended. And then uh, Andre Santos, uh, young Brazilian um, prospect. Uh, Dave David Datro for Farner, a striker from Mulder and they've just kind of absolutely blown everything else out of the water. We you know we talked about ages, the the financial disparity between Premier League and the rest of the world and uh, you know there's a lot of the reason why the European Super League came to be and with this sort of spending it wouldn't be a surprise if it happened once again in the coming years because you can already sense the resentment um, across Europe and it seems like Chelsea really have put the cat amongst the pigeons this month you've seen reports about other clubs being really frustrated at how they've kind of just barred their way into anyone else's deal. Arsenal of course would seem bang on to get mudrick and then chelsea stormed in to get him and it's, it's, it's certainly going to be interesting going forward because the sense is that this isn't the end of uh, todd Bowley's spending spree either
0: yeah without wishing to um stereotype it's been very american hasn't it it's been big and brash and not caring about what has gone before or anything like that um you know and from what i've seen they've got Kind of widespread acclaim for it. Um, I'd be I'd be very interested to see what the reaction would have been like if Newcastle had spent um, six hundred million in six months and broken the British transfer record. Because I'm I'm willing to bet that it would not be anywhere near what it has been like for Chelsea. I think we'd be hearing all about how um, how owners from a certain part of the world are, are ruining the game. So it's um yeah i, I just think with chelsea's spending you know surely there's no way they should not be expected to get top 4 now this season and there's no way they shouldn't be expected to to challenge if not win the league next year because you know you can not you, you simply cannot be spending that kind of money and it just have no material consequence or mm. or anything like that but i mean it They are crazy fees. I look back because obviously when City signed Kyle Walker in in 2017, everyone accused them of uh, football going mad. Hundred
1: million on full, hundred thirty million on fullbacks. Yeah, yeah. Why are you spending that much on blimmin' fullbacks? Get it on a striker.
0: I recall. Yeah, Gary Lineker tweeted, "Imagine how much Kyle Walker would cost if he could cross a ball." Um, Which, um, but you know, but but Mourinho at the time. Uh, who was then United manager said that you know the the change for him was that you know it's, a lot of money had always been spent on big players, but now a lot of money was being spent on kind of normal players or not so big players. And and I mean, gardens of the world. Yeah, and like everyone's saying, oh, what a great deal for Chelsea to get this Enzo Fernandez thing over the line, and it's like, is it like He's played thirty
1: we- games I think in club football yeah signed for 10 million last summer in the summer just the summer
0: yeah um you know and and as we've already discussed being a world cup with with argentina does not necessarily mean you are one of the best players in in the world the standard of football at the world cup will not be premier league champions league level so yeah it's a, it's a huge gamble and and chelsea have just ripped up um what they see is the established order, and you know the the word is that they will keep spending and spending and spending. But it's just like where does it, where does it end? Like what what does Raheem Sterling think about being the big marquee signing last summer, and now all these, you know, Chelsea's best eleven lineups are being made, and he, he's probably not in the second eleven. No, it's it's interesting. I feel
1: like it's worse. I do think. It's obviously ridiculous the amount of money they're spending. That goes kind of without saying. As I said, there, Fernandez looked good in the World Cup. Don't get me wrong, his and Alvarez and there was another place. Uh, McAllister's introductions into that Argentina side is what well, kind of turned them around and got them the victory. But I say, cup football, World Cup, international football, is no longer the pinnacle of the sport anymore. There's, and I don't be wrong. I believe he's done quite well at Benfica. Benfica are still in the Champions League, aren't they, and doing well as well. But you can't judge a man off. I, I, I was thinking back. I was wondering, like, if if. Messi had gone for 100 million in like 2009. Would he, Would that, would we be like, we, I think even then we'd be going, oh, come on, I know he's good, but he's not worth that Who's worth that much? I think even then we'd still think it's ridiculous. But no, it has kind of come part of the course. And But I think for Chelsea, the thing is, they, they're spending stupid money, but they are. it does seem like there's a bit of a plan to it now. They are signing young players is in earnest. I think so. I think if you look at the kind of age... Don't get me wrong, they're they're all kind of big bracket, you know, statement signings, shall we say. But I think if you look at kind of the age brackets of them, it's more the potential, I'd say. Now, you spend a lot on that risk, but Mudrick and Fernandez and this Fafana fella, uh, Badashile, they're all players who are quite young. I, I believe none of them are over 24, I want to say. And the signing, the, the other interesting thing of it, of course, is the like eight-year contracts, which, of course, could absolutely come back to bite them on the rear end. But it does seem like in the summer... Tuchel cool, had this Slipkant like he could have done this, and he chose to get Sterling, who's a quality player, as we know, but, what is he, like, 20, 27, 28? Coming nowhere near the end of his career yet, but, you know, is at his peak, Aubameyang, who was well past his peak, and other players, who you know, Kukureya, who, um, they haven't kind of impressed any of those signs. Instead, they've kind of, it feels like they just ripped up the book, as you say, and are putting it right now under Potter. I think they're backing Potter to get the young players and do what he did at Brighton with promising young players, but just on a, a massive more scale. But on that, you know, gazillion times more um, scale there comes a gazillion times more risk. And it's going to be very interesting because I say, I don't I think if Potter doesn't turn it around now and very quickly, he is
0: going to be on the chopping block in, in quick time. But did Graham Potter want all of this? Did well, Potter want that all is of also interesting. Because, well, you know, you had in summer when Tuchel was firm in overruling, uh, the new ownership on signing Ronaldo,
1: mm, yeah.
0: and um, you know, I think everyone would agree that that was the correct decision from Tuchel, even though he he found himself out of a out of a job. Now, arguably, Potter's got less kind of uh, less room to stand up to the owners than than Tuchel did because he's achieved less in the game. Like Potter's desperately trying to find a way to knit this Chelsea team together, and in the meantime, he's had about forty eight new signings coming. Each one of them costing eighty million and demanding to play every week. On top of all the eighty million signings they had in summer that are demanding to play every week. So, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating. If anyone wants to come onto Twitter and tell me that <laughs> they signed everyone for eighty billion, but um, it, it's a very, very expensively assembled squad. And um, players who sign for that kind of money do not expect to sit on the bench once a week, twice a week. No. So. Graham Potter's job is going to be harder than ever, mm-hmm. and you know, can you find me a manager in world football who will be able to to make a success out of that squad? Because to me, it just looks like a hugely kind of top-heavy in terms of price um, mm-hmm. group, where it's going to be really easy for for squad disharmony to set in.
1: Well, that's certainly going to be a tough task for him. But I think it's going to be interesting. I think with Fernandez. I'm sure they could have found someone a bit cheaper, like, but they needed a midfielder. That was the sign they actually did need, not the kind of legion of wingers that have come in. So they made the sign there. Badr has come in and already made an impact at the back, and it really has improved them. Because I think, as I another correct prediction, I'm going to big up. Um Koulibaly came in and has not delivered whatsoever, I, and he's. All, I, I imagine he won't even survive the summer. I think I I can see a massive clear out coming in the summer. To be honest, with Abamiang will be gone. Koulibaly will probably be gone. Sterling might even, as you say, if Mudrik comes in and obviously Pulis, well, Pulisic might go. Ziyech was going to go to PSG, wasn't he? Until that fell through. I can see, yeah, it, it, at the minute it's a ridiculous squad with so many attackers, but I can foresee a lot of them leaving and clearing out. And then it just all, you know, it depends if Potter's a strong enough personality to to be able to manage them all, get everyone all side, and transform it, because he certainly has a big job to do now. and. Having lost a leader in that team like Jorginho as well, so it's certainly going to be interesting. once to see how it plays out, and it's it's fascinating once I watch. Um, either way, and and spare a thought for Hakim Ziyech,
0: who um, <laughs> you know, the old facts machine read today that Chelsea failed three times to send the right paperwork over. So that that's another player in the squad who's not going to be happy. No. Probably not, well, he wasn't getting much game time to begin with, but he's going to get even less now. Um, mm-hmm. But he's just going to be kind of like pottering around. Cobham, don't know. Spending his match days on Kensington High Street, spending his wages because you're not going to get anywhere near that that first team. Um, you know it is chaotic, and you know some people love chaos. Um, mm-hmm. We'll wait and see whether it is organised chaos or it is disorganised chaos. But uh, it's fun to watch. Uh, yeah, it's certainly shaking the league up. Mm-hmm.
1: it's funny i just think just when i was like kind of watching the news come in over the last weeks like how oh, are they getting another attacker it's like jesus lads and it, that, that, that said the lad from psv is a really highly rated uh, english uh player isn't he and like do you need him now you've just signed mudrick <laughs> like can you not just hold on a bit but well who am i who am i but you know let's actually get to the football at long last i, I think the tell transfer- you what
0: the um, you know for so long people have added up the cost of city's bench it's going to be fun watching them do the same with Chelsea isn't it
1: yeah mate, it's going to be good seeing the reserve team I think yeah. under, under, under 23 it's going to be the most expensively assembled under 23 side and history When but yeah. Ziyech and Polisic and uh, Kulibali are all lining up for under 21s that will be certainly be fun to see but you know let's kind of get through the football at long last the transfer window you know it burst to life for City and the other clubs towards the end so it deserved a bit of, bit of focus especially since we are a few days removed now from City's last outing of course they did did face Arsenal on Friday in the FA Cup and they were victorious. A 1-0 win with a goal from, of course, Nathan Ake and a lovely finish at that side. So, it it wasn't the best game and to be honest with you, I cannot remember much of what happened already. <laughs> I actually did watch it all but I cannot remember much of anything other than the goal. But you know, we talked a lot about beforehand how it would be interesting. Um, to See how both managers lined up and how if it would have an impact going forward. City kind of went as strong like we expected them to, as they can only do given the kind of the size but strength of the squad. But Arsenal kind of went the tack where I thought they might, where they rested some key players and have that. Not you know they're focusing on the Premier League and they have that reasoning. But in their heads now, when they meet in the league in a few weeks, they can justifiably say to themselves, "Yeah, we lost, but we didn't really care. We played a weaker team." we've got a strong team now we can go and give these a go and there isn't i don't think City only beating on one nil and kind of struggling to do so in a bit of a bad game i don't think city got any kind of psychological edge if we can deal in such contrasted uh, such abstract concepts um from the match
0: see i disagree there oh okay not for the first yeah. time not for the first time, no. Rowdy podcast this. It's been fun. Um, yeah, I see, you know, I, I completely get, yeah, Arsenal played a weakened team, caused City problems, um, and only lost one nil. Um, so they they can, you know, shrug that off. But at the same time, City can say to him, You still lost, didn't you? You still lost. You played us and you lost. And it was kind of it, it reminded me a bit of when um, Guardiola played Chelsea's Tuchel, or Tuchel's Chelsea, even uh, in the twenty 2020, twenty twenty one season. Um, and City had had the league wrapped up, and they played a weak team against Chelsea at home in the league in eight. I think the league game came first in April, and uh, they should have they should have wrapped it up, and they absolutely didn't. Uh, and Chelsea beat them, and it was like, well, City won the league. No one cares. And then they played him in the FA Cup semi and they at Wembley and they played a weakened team and Chelsea beat them. And it was like, well, who cares? Champions League final is the big one. And they played him in the Champions League final and Chelsea won. And after all saying, well, City may have lost those games, but they weren't games that they felt they needed to win when they needed to turn it on for the big one. They didn't. And uh, I think City will have taken a lot of confidence from beating Arsenal, despite it being a weakened team. And I think as soon as Arsenal went behind and you then see the likes of Odegaard and Martinelli being thrown on, that kind of weakens the idea that Arteta wasn't really interested in winning the game because suddenly it was like, oh, right, we need to do something here. So um, I think, you know, it might not have knocked Arsenal that much, but it will have lifted City and that in itself is dangerous for Arsenal that's
1: yeah that's certainly an amazing point i hadn't really considered it myself um yeah as you're right you're right you're right to say having the advantage for city they can say they've had the win and can go into the meeting, February 15th, I believe, isn't it? The, the first meeting in the league, which is going to be um, quite the exciting one, hopefully more exciting game. But City can certainly go into it knowing that you wouldn't be surprised if it was the exact same starting eleven that lined up in that match, injuries and suspensions abiding, and they can go say, oh, we've done it before, lads, let's just go and do it again. And it's an interesting one. But I would say that Arsenal, with their, when their subs did come on, I'd say that they they made a great impact, as we said. Oh well, Tross had started and I thought he looked really good, as you mentioned. Martinelli looked really good. He nearly kind of squirmed in an equalizer late on, didn't he, when he kinda of dribbled down, down that right side. Obviously Odegaards come in, as you say, and Jorginho added. I do think Arsenal there is enough Arsenal showed enough there. I'd say they probably were the better team in the match, but that's no, it's pretty close. Not not an awful lot in it. But they can take I do think they can take they could still take a confidence boost from that, knowing that They'd still played well, and I think on another day, the ball kind of ricochets a different way. They could win, and I know what you're saying. City have been lifted, but I don't think i you say Arsenal have shown they can get at City. I would say, and it's, it makes up it makes the, the the first league meeting quite an interesting proposition, more so than it already was, as we kind of expected. This little curtain raiser
0: would. Yeah, no, it's going to be great in uh, in two weeks. But you know, I think the pressure is on Arsenal because City are are chasing and um you know you've got to be in well if if you feel the weakened team in the fa cup you are prioritizing other competitions which reduces your margin for error in in those competitions so when city go to arsenal you'll say to them "Right, well, you've chucked away one chance of winning a trophy and i know i agree they could have won on a on another night and uh from a selfish perspective maybe i would have preferred the arsenal trek down to bristol city on uh on a on a midweek night but we'll uh, we'll put that one to bed um but uh i i do think the pressure will be on arsenal to say look well you were confident enough in your own ability to kind of not mind if you if you lost one game so what can you do and you know much praise for arteta for the way he's transformed them Uh, At the same time, because it's Arsenal, everyone is still waiting for that moment when they have a setback to think, what will they do? And if City are the ones to deliver that setback to them, then that is going to be very interesting to see how they take it. You know, City, no one knows if they're consistent enough to do that. No one knows if they're consistent enough to win at Spurs. Um, They've never won at that stadium. They've never, well, yeah, they've played well, but they've never won at that stadium um so that will be significantly could be further behind when they go to arsenal which would change things again but as it stands uh you know nathan ake said after the game he thinks it's still in in city's hands um which mathematically it's not but if they beat arsenal twice it will certainly be a hell of a lot closer and even more pressure will be on an arsenal team to get over the line when nobody in that squad really apart from zinchenko and jesus are used to getting over the line in title races. Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, well, and Jorginho know as well of course, but yeah, you, you, you spot it's going to be interesting and I think I say that added experience could well be a, a a crucial factor and it's going it's certainly going to be an interesting way to shape up. I think the links to City with Arteta as well who, you know, I don't know how much being an assistant coach get adds to winning the leagues if you get me like how much that experience it gives you in those scenarios, but he's been there. He's he had, I don't think, because he hasn't been the manager himself, he was he was in the room when City were winning leagues and in these title races. He's seen how Guardiola's done it, he, and he, I imagine he could put his own spin on anything, as we've seen. its I, I think it's, it's shaping up to be really fascinating when, as I said, that game in two weeks... Hopefully, it be a bit more thrilling on the football side of things, but the the the, uh, the machinations from it are certainly going to be either way. And, you know, as I say, Bristol City in the Cup for City in the next round, so have fun with that one, si. Um I'll be wrapped up nice and warm in this room, blogging it, if I'm on shift, but I'll be keeping your company, no doubt, all the way down um, in the West Country. And the, But before that, City are back in action on Sunday in the Premier League, and it's a match against Tottenham. Um, I we all, We've City only played them just a few weeks ago. If that, and of course that was the scene of the crime of Guardiola's outburst after the match when he was not at all happy with the way his team went two 0 down, the lack of fight, passion, desire. Does this game give kind of City the a chance to, or the players a chance to show that they've taken his words on board? And if if they haven't, how fuming is he going to be afterwards, regardless of the scoreline?
0: Yeah, City, you've kind of got the opposite of. Sir Alex Ferguson's lads, it's Tottenham thing, like whatever they do Tottenham seem to find a way to, to frustrate them and to take points off them uh, especially at that stadium I've been to so many of those games and they're uh, you're always coming away thinking like how on earth did that happen? Um, so it's going to be a really big test for for a City squad but I would say against you know a Tottenham side that hasn't really played well all season um you know they've they've got the the ever dangerous harry kane who can score in any situation um but i, I you know i didn't think spurs were particularly great in the first half when they went into nil up against city i didn't think city were particularly great in the second half when they then scored four unanswered goals so i think it's there for the taking for city but at the same time you know I wouldn't expect him to go gun cold imagine it would be the sort of mares Grealish wait 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 um strategy um that sort of keeps things solid and then tries to to make that quality show in the final third mhm yeah the interesting thing is,
1: it is going to be a slightly different Tottenham. They have strengthened a little bit since then. They brought in Dan Juma on loan, who scored on his debut at the weekend when Tottenham defeated Preston North End 3-0 in the FA Cup. Um, obviously, lower league opposition expected to win that game, but a boost for them also would be that Son Hung Min scored two stunning goals, and it's been a while since he's done anything of note. Um kind of struggled after the, um, he had an injury, didn't he, where he busted his face and at the World Cup and whatnot, so... Um, he's kind of struggled for form throughout the year and they've also got in a former City player of, well, a player who used to be on Manchester City's books in Pedro Porro brought him in from uh, Sport in yet another fullback for Conte to kind of get his hands on but speaking of Conte he might not be on the bench for the match he's undergoing uh, surgery to remove his gallbladder so we wish him all the best in his recovery but he may not be um, on this on the, in the dugout for the game so that obviously adds a different complexion as well so as I say it's a different Tottenham perhaps one with a bit more confidence and a bit more strength in him but do you see that having much more Much of an impact on the game.
0: I still think it's in City's hands. I think if they turn up and play as they can, then they'll have too much for Tottenham. I think if they turn up and think, "Oh, this is the stadium where we've not really performed before," and start, you know, doubting themselves, then I think Tottenham will will make them pay. Um, You know, I Tottenham seems to have had a a decent January window, um, and they had a very good team to to start with, and it's sort of typical City that Son starts to come into form. Um, but it was only one game and, you know, City have kept two and a half clean sheets since Guardiola um, shouted at them all in the dressing room at half-time against, against Spurs. They have tightened up, so you would expect that defence to be to be pretty uh, stingy again. So it, it will just depend on uh, whether, whether City can create enough And whether you know, Haaland can can step up and say this is a big game that I'm going to win it for Mm. for City. Um, As to whether they can keep this kind of mini momentum going ahead of Arsenal.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know we talked about abstract concepts, and it's a weird one with kind of Tottenham. You know, playing Tottenham at that ground, they have become a bogey side, and it's sort of thing where it's like mental. It's not obviously a real thing, and. One match doesn't necessarily dictate the outcome of another match, but it's a psychological thing when you, so many bad moments for City have happened at that ground, the Champions League um, elimination being the uh, low light, and it really can affect certain players, I imagine, especially you know, your superstitious ones and whatnot. The pressure, and the, it certainly affects the fans as well, the pressure that you just feel where you just... It's like you can't get the result in certain games and whatnot. But one player who hasn't played there yet, and I've just checked, so hopefully this is right. Um, Harland, as you say, hasn't played at the ground yet, so hopefully he should be going in with no um, no doubts or whatever in his mind. I, I, I can't imagine he ever would anyway. But you know, it seems like he may be the key here. Um, he scored one goal in that 4-2. It was had Mahrez who was excellent. But I think getting the win after, you know, when Tottenham went two 0 up, it seemed like, oh my god, here we go again. I was, you know, Spurs are absolutely in free fall. How are they, they going to win this? I've seen it's kind of get the monkey off the back early and winning that match, coming from behind when they weren't playing well themselves, staring down the barrel of a three wins at three defeats in a row, which I think Guardiola's only done t- twice previously in his whole managerial career. To kind of avoid that, get get beat Tottenham, get it out of the way. I think it boards well for this match, and hopefully, the you know. I can't see it being quite the culture, and it used to be. Um, it has been in the past, given Tottenham's poor run of form. But if they can get that demon um, kind of vanquished, it'd be certainly be good going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure City will look to use that four-two um, comeback win, uh, and you know, Haaland getting three goals since then in a game will will spur him on. Um, I don't think I think he's one goal off Aguero's league record for City, so. Um, not far off kind of setting new heights again and again and again. Um, and yeah, I just think it, it's going to be one of those games that you, you know, Tottenham games are usually significant. And I think come May, we could be talking about Tottenham away as a, a sign that this team was ready to win the league, or we can be talking about it as a sign that they were too inconsistent to, to challenge a very good Arsenal side.
1: Well, it's certainly going to be a fascinating encounter and we can't wait to talk about it next week on the Talking City podcast. But for now, that is the end of this episode, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to stay up to date with all the City kind of news and reaction from Jal Cancelo's sudden exit and all the expert analysis, you can go over to uk forward slash Manchester City and of course, you'll be able to follow all the coverage from the match-up against Tottenham this weekend. It looks set to be a really tantalising one. You can get us on Twitter at Man City MEN and our Facebook page is uh, Manchester Evening News Manchester City and of course if you want to one <laughs> if you want to watch this probably really hastily edited <laughs> podcast in living colour um, due to some technical difficulties which we won't divulge on um, you can of course also go over to our brand new YouTube channel which is Manchester Evening News Man City it'd be really appreciated if you could give us a cheeky like and subscribe and you know watch our lovely mugs doing what. Th- they do reasonably well in talk about football. But until next week, everyone, that is goodbye for now. So, t'ra.